0: First Cast, Episode 537. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of the Spurs Cast. Joining me for this episode, 537, after the Spurs' first playoff win of 2019, is Project Spurs writer John Diaz. Welcome back to the Project Spurs um, Spurs Cast, John.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back and talk some Spurs basketball with you guys. I've missed it.
0: Awesome, man! It's good to have you back. Uh, hear your voice here, here on the Spurs Cast. Hopefully, the listeners are, will enjoy your voice again. Yeah, um, I hope so. Follow- <laughs> Follow him on Twitter, uh, Spurscast listeners, at by John Diaz. All right, John, so let's go ahead and dig right into this game. Um, on Saturday, the Spurs opened the playoffs on the road in Denver, where the Spurs have just been bad, basically, on the road all year. But they surprisingly won the game, 101-96. Uh, Derek White had a pretty good performance, 16 points, um, you know, on 70% shooting. Uh, he made a big late steal there in the fourth quarter. You know, a lot of people, you know, this Kawhi Leonard um, comparisons, just how Kawhi makes those, those late games. Crunch time um, defensive per- plays. Uh, how he still with the Spurs and he still does it uh, with Toronto. Then uh, Brent Forbes, you know, started the game also and had 15 points with a strong shooting performance for San Antonio, really carrying them from three. He went three or four from distance. Um, so let's go ahead and, and get into uh, you know not just uh, specific players, but let's just go on, go, go on and like really really dive into this game one and also kind of as we're, as we're talking about this, analyzing this game, talk about what we're looking forward to in game two and what we think might happen for either team. So let's begin on the most important end for the Spurs, I believe, this season, it's, which is their defense, because this has been their area where they're hit and miss all year. They've been inconsistent. They played really good defense in this first game by holding Denver on the road to 96 points uh, below 100 points, which is, not, which is not something that the Spurs often did this, this current season. So um, let's go ahead and begin first with the paint. You know, here, Here's a few numbers that I took, and you can give me some of your observations. So frequency at the rim. Uh, the Nuggets like to take 35% of their shots from the rim, the Spurs held them to 29%, so about a 4% difference. Accuracy was about the same, about 63%. Uh, two stats that really stuck out to me, uh, offensive rebounding. This, the Nuggets were the best this year, grabbing 29.7% of their offensive rebounds. And in this opening game, they got 29% of their own rebounds. The Spurs typically allowed nine offensive rebounds, and the Nuggets grabbed 13. The Spurs typically allowed 13 um, second-chance points, and uh, Denver scored 17. So... so so do you – here's my question to you. Do you uh, chalk this Denver getting um, all these offensive rebounds and extra chances to them just having a bad shooting night from three? Because we're going to get into some of those numbers in a little bit. Or do you think that that's kind of where the Spurs need to really watch for because Denver has been a good team on the offensive glass?
1: I, I think it's kind of funny, though. I, I was looking at some of the numbers earlier, and Denver was 10 for 40 outside of 15 feet. And that's one of those things where you don't expect a team to be that shooting that poorly at home. But – you kind of want to chalk it up to nerves a little bit just because, you know, you've got Monte Morris, Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley. All these guys are 22, 23, 24. They're not exactly experienced, but saying that the Spurs won this game off of, you know, just being an experienced team isn't exactly true. You've got all these guys that have had their playoff struggles and, you know, someone like Derek White stepping up, even though he's in his hometown, whatever you want to call it, that doesn't – it doesn't fit the narrative exactly. I I think – one of the big things is Jamal Murray holding onto the ball a little too long constantly. You see a lot of those plays. You can look at the tracking stats of over six dribbles and just holding onto the ball and taking bad shots. You know, even though Derek White defended him and held him, I think to 35% shooting on his own, it's just one of those things where the Spurs were quick to flash to Jokic and make sure get the ball out of his hands. Even if he's going to make plays or if he's going to post you up, just get the ball out of his hands. Let someone else do the dirty work. And that, they did a really great job of that. We'll see. You know, I, I expect Denver, obviously, is going to make some adjustments in game two and not shoot as poorly. But the Spurs still have a lot of work to do defensively, especially just controlling the boards and making sure someone like Jamal Murray doesn't get hot because we've seen that all year, too.
0: Yeah, and you know, part of this, too, why um, I think that we saw an increase in offensive rebounds is because... For a Spurs defense, because you know typically they're top ten and not letting teams get ass- offensive boards. I think it's because Denver is actually one of the few teams like San Antonio that plays the traditional bigs. You know they play Jokic and Millsap together. They play um, uh, Plumley off, the off, off the bench yep. exactly. So so you know typically on the Spurs over the season most teams do play small ball against them. Whereas Denver is actually one of those few matches where they actually like to crash the offensive glass. A guy who really uh, who really crashed the boards pretty well for them was uh, Will Barton. Also had two. Um, yeah, like I mentioned, even even Murray himself. So. So that's something to watch, in my opinion, is just, you know, watch the second-chance attempts for second-chance points, should I say, for Denver if you're San Antonio. Uh, again, part of that, too, is like you mentioned, Denver just had a really bad shooting night, so that could be, you know, what happens if more of their shots go in? Well, then that's obviously uh, those, those offensive boards will be limited to them. Next section for for the for the uh, defense for the Spurs, John, let's go ahead and look at how, how they made the Nuggets shoot from the mid-range. So, So this was actually by design. San Antonio all year – They want you to take those mid-range shots. They don't want you taking threes. They don't want you taking shots at the rim or at the free throw line. So check this out. Over the season, Denver only took 32% of their shots from mid-range. In this game, they took 42%, so a 10% increase in in frequency from the mid-range. They shot it pretty well, 46% from from mid-range. Now, the one guy who I really saw taking that shot and taking advantage of it was Murray, like you mentioned. He shot 3 of 8 from the non-paint 2, 38%, which is about league average, uh, and you know, we saw that in that final moment with 10 seconds left where he could have made that, that 15 footer, it clanked out. And obviously, you know, the Spurs were able to get the rebound and they, then they carry it, they carry them on toward the win. But you know, if Murray makes that, then all of a sudden Denver's up by one point and then it gets tricky. We don't know exactly who wins that game. So, uh, Murray's actually a pretty good mid range shooter. He's 43% from the, um, free, from, from that area, from that mid range area, uh, which is in the 69th percentile among combo guards, but outside of him. It doesn't look like Denver wants to take that shot, but the Spurs still force them to take that shot. What do you think about that, about you know, still letting Murray have that shot uh, compared to some, something else?
1: I, I fully expect them to bite him in the butt in game two and then let Pop make adjustments at home. But if if it's going to be one of those things where you lose to a, another mid-range team, then go ahead. If, if that's going to be their weak point and they're only going to have Jamal Murray as their primary scorer, then it's fine. Just go ahead and lose that way. You can adjust to him and the way he plays. Because obviously he's going to be prepared to see those looks this time around. It's just can Derek White stay in front of him? Because Derek White played him pretty tightly the entire game, which is really great.
0: Yeah, and for sure, you know what's you know it's so tough and why he gets such good looks is because Jokic is one setting the screens. I mean, I saw a few yeah. times where Derek White and Patty Mills just got wiped off the screen. Yeah. I mean, and Jokic said And Jokic is an offensive foul; and he's just a big dude. So um, I think that's something to watch. You right? You know, Murray got really good open looks from that range, but again. If that's what it's going to take to beat the Spurs, then I think they're going to take that. And plus, he didn't have a great shooting at 8-23 of 23 overall. Um, I think that if you can keep him from not making those threes or getting to the, to the free throw line or the paint, that's really good. And also something it does, and something you talked about a while ago, was that he's not able to create for anyone else. He actually had zero assists in this game. He typically averages five assists a game. So, so they're taking, uh, you know... That eventually leads to something. Whereas you're just making Murray a decision maker in terms of, hey, if the shot's there, I take it, and he's not getting anyone else involved. Maybe that leads to those guys being cold from three because they're not getting you know enough shots from it from anywhere else. So I think that that's a little trickle down effect that the Spurs can, can look to. So I, I think you're right that the Spurs should still. Uh, continue to play that conservative defense of dropping the bigs back. And if that, that, the mid range is there for Murray, then he makes it. Uh, I saw a few plays where like Mason Plumlee, Will Barton, they took like some, some crazy, like 14 foot floaters that went yeah. in. But Hey, if you're the Spurs, I mean, after those sw- shots would go in when I was watching the game, I'm like, that's a good shot. I mean, that's a, that's a good shot for the Spurs defense to give up. That's yeah. fine. I mean, if, if they make those shots, they make them and you live with that. Um, okay. Let's continue now uh, going down the line uh, in in the area of of the floor for defense for the Spurs. So three-pointers now. Let's go look at their three-point frequency for Denver. So this is an interesting stat here. Um, The Nuggets, uh, typically in the season, they like to take 32% of their shots from three. Uh, The Spurs held them to 3% below, 29% of those shots from three. Now, it's the accuracy that was really significant here. Uh, Typically, Denver shoots 36% from three. In that game, they shot 21%. Uh, Bruno Apostles put this on Twitter. The Nuggets got 17 of their 28 three-pointers. They were wide open, which was six-plus feet between them and a defender. They only made five of those 17 three-pointers. So I really think that, um, you know, we did see the, the Nuggets get a lot of open threes. And, they, you know, the, the part of it was that the Spurs were doubling um, Jokic a lot of the times. Uh, different, you know, They were throwing different schemes at him. But if a lot, a few of those more of those wide open threes fall, you know, we're, we're talking about a different game. Maybe Denver's up by six or eight points instead of being down most of the night. What do you think about the Spurs' defense against their threes?
1: It's kind of funny that Torrey Craig was their leading three-point shooter oh, with, with two makes. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> with, with two. And it's just like, it's one of those things where obviously, you know, flashing to Jokic, maybe those players aren't just expecting that shot. And, and in that moment, it's just one of those things where they're going to freeze up. Maybe, you know, they're a little bit off kilter and this and that, but... The Spurs also did a good job of also forcing another pass, trying to get the ball to someone else that can't hurt them as badly. And that, that's a great, It's you know, they schemed it really well, but I don't expect Denver again to just brick a lot of those wide open shots. But another thing, if you're going to live with Tory Craig or Malik Beasley shooting that ball, go for it. Hey, I would rather lose at the hands of him than letting someone like Jokic, like I think the Hoop Collective mentioned the Spurs should just let Jokic get whatever he wants yeah. and control everyone else. And the Spurs did the complete opposite. Said, let your guards beat us. We're going to control Jokic. Okay, yeah, he got a triple double, but how ineffective was he with just setting screens and, you know, trying to take shots a little bit further outside of the paint and not in the restricted area? It, it's just it, – it's it's a good start. They, they took the game from at home, and they've got plenty of time to scheme up other ways and see what adjustments Denver will make for game two.
0: And, you know, the Jokic thing – I mean, not the Jokic, the Murray thing, going back to him again, is that it kind of reminds me a little bit of, of the Steve Nash defense from years ago when the Spurs would play them in the playoffs where – the fact that he had zero assists, Murray, is that you're just making him basically a scorer, and you're saying, you know, get get as many as you can, especially if you're taking away Jokic's scoring ability. Um, I think that's also something to watch if if, if you're San Antonio, maybe continue with it. Uh, as far as their free throw defense, the Spurs, um, they didn't really put the Nuggets on the line, um, you know, that much more than they, they usually average. They actually kept it down just a bit. I think the two things that you got to watch, though, if you're, for two specific Spurs players, are Derek White and Lamarcus Aldridge's foul timing. Now. I say foul timing because, you know, they only finished with three fouls each, which is fine. But it's when they got those fouls that really kept them out of the game. You know, Derek got some really early. I think with, like, three minutes in, he got two fouls in the first quarter. I think it was the second or third quarter where LaMarcus had to get taken out early because he had three fouls at one point. So, in my opinion, it's always been about timing for the Spurs, and they had to really watch that uh, as, as their players. Did you see anything else about their fouling?
1: I I, I kind of noticed that uh, Jakub Pertl getting in foul trouble early, but that's one of those things where hey, if Lamarcus is going to get into foul trouble and you force him to go one on one with Jokic, it's going to happen, and you just kind of have to live with it. But the problem is going forward is if Pertl also gets in foul trouble, who's going to come off the bench? Are you going to trust Rudy Gay in that spot? Are we going to see Dante Cunningham just try to soak up fouls? Like it's one of those things you don't want to see that situation. You want the Spurs to keep that rotation short.
0: Yeah, and especially with the lack of you know just true seven footers, what kind of like got. You know, got me thinking, especially when, uh, you know, when, when Yoke, when, you, when uh, like you said, Perto and Aldridge are both in foul trouble, um, you know, that, that's something to watch considering that they did, you know, buy out Paul Gasol's contract. Just for him to be a seven-foot body out there, that's yeah. kinda of what I was thinking. You know, obviously, he's not known for his defense, but if he's playing against traditional bigs like Plumlee or Jokic, maybe that that's fine. Uh, and I but, don't think
1: we want to see Monta Yunus out there just yet. Yeah,
0: I don't think he's – yeah, he's not even – yeah, he, he's definitely not going to play, I don't think, yet, or, you know, yeah, so – So, yeah, he would actually be the only big, you know, traditional big that would play. That's over, you know, 6'10 for the Spurs in that case. But, you know, for now, they're okay in that department. Uh, I think one really positive uh, note for the Spurs, and I think Denver saw this because they already saw a comment from their, their head coach or one of their players, is that Denver scored zero fast break points in this game against the Spurs. So they really, the Spurs did an excellent job of getting back in transition. They typically allow San Antonio, they typically allow 14 points um, for, on the on the fast breaks, and I, I think I think it was a Nuggets player or, or one of their coaches that said already. I saw some some you know just the media's kind of putting all these different quotes from from the practice today that they're that they're going to run faster and pick up the pace. So that obviously shows you that they saw that. Hey, we scored zero points in, on the fast break against this team who's actually not that good at transition defense. The Spurs typically aren't a great uh, team in, in that. Even area. though
1: that's their main focus too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I know Pop always hammers transition defense and he it takes starts out of
1: transition offense. D even though we're not yeah. good at it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and for the Denver not even to get zero point. I mean, I don't even know if the Spurs had a game where they didn't allow a team to get zero with transit, transition. But you points. could also so,
1: counter and say the Spurs only had two fast break points. So it's like, you know, yeah, you kind yeah. of give and take a little bit. But I mean, Denver being held to zero at home is just shocking.
0: And yeah, that's something that me and Colin talked about a week ago was that both of these teams don't really play that a fast, fast pace like like I thought Denver did. You know, we you and I know San Antonio yeah. doesn't play fast, but, but for Denver not to, to get any fast break points, that was a little surprising. Um, Let's look at a a few individual players for the Nuggets. Uh, Jokic, you know, he's usually their go-to guy. So he had 10 10 points, 14 rebounds, 14 assists, uh, 44% from the field. um, Didn't make any three-pointers. You could tell he was very hesitant to shoot him in the second half. He kind of had to, but that's just not a shot he's comfortable with. Just looking at his overall season average, he shoots 31% from there. The Spurs did a great job of throwing different kind of double-team schemes at him, getting the ball out of his hands. He only took nine shots. He had three turnovers. Uh, What did you think about their defense on, on Jokic specifically?
1: I think it was kind of great to kind of force him to pass the ball a little bit, you know, probably a little more than he's comfortable. And even though his bread and butter is that, you know, within two seconds of getting rid of the ball, he may have felt some level of just discomfort with having Aldridge and just having a guard flash at him. He's probably not used to seeing that too often. But I also like what the ineffectiveness of Paul Millsap. That's one of those things where a lot of people have been wondering how Paul Millsap would handle the playoffs and for him to be out-rebounded by someone like Bryn Forbes, you just kind of look at it like you expect a little bit more out of this guy.
0: Yeah, I didn't see that four rebounds. Wow. I didn't, yeah. know, that. I didn't know Paul knows the four <laughs> rebounds until you just pointed that out. Um, yeah. And now the other guys were, uh, we talked a lot about Murray already. Um, you know, for, for, for him, the thing is if he gets that three ball going, that's really dangerous for San Antonio. He was always six from three. He forced a lot of them, but if he does get one, some of those open ones to go, that, that can really uh, get shaky for San Antonio. Two players that, that had pretty good games for Denver were Will Barton with 15 points, 10 rebounds, and then uh, Gary Harris with 20 points. Um, now, uh, Harris, a little, a little intriguing that he got five free throw attempts. Now I did start to see something in the fourth quarter, you know, Denver scored 20, uh, what was it? 28 points in the fourth. And I saw that they were having way more success. And, and, uh, you know, the Spurs have to worry about this. I think in my opinion is that Barton and Harris and Murray, when they started running more pick and roll action, uh, they started getting into the, you know, kind of penetrating the Spurs' um, defense, kind of kicking the ball around, uh, or getting to the free throw line, you know, getting some, some decent shots. So, I think that's something where you have to be a little cautious if you're San Antonio about that dribble penetration because if those guys who are typically shooters, like 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 you know like Harris, like Barton, like Malik Beasley, if they start thinking, oh, hey, we can get into the, into the teeth of the defense and now start making some plays happen, I think that becomes very wor- worrisome for San Antonio. What did you think about that?
1: I, I would like to see the Spurs counter with length, and I know this, we'll probably hammer a little bit on this a little bit later, but the fact that Pop was willing to put in Lonnie Walker even for just eight seconds – I think that's one of those things where the Spurs aren't going to be afraid to go throw everything they have at Denver. And if you can add that little bit of length and athleticism to throw Gary Harris off, it'll pay off in the long run.
0: Yeah, no, no, for sure. And that actually, you know, when I, when I saw Pop put him in, I was like, oh, wow, he's actually going to put him in the game. And, and then I looked at those eight seconds. But hey, you know, that's again that Pop hat is starting to build that little that little, uh, little by little. He's starting to put that confidence in Lonnie. Uh, and especially as we saw, you know, those last three weeks of the season where he was getting, you know, he was getting minutes, right now minutes and then. Regular minutes, yeah. yeah. So, so, it was, so It was like, like
1: George Hill, like coming out of nowhere in like games three and four. Obviously, it was too late in the series when he was a rookie, but it's just one of those things where, hey, Lonnie got his feet wet. If it, the situation allows it, we saw what Lonnie did in the regular season against Denver in that last game, even though it was a blowout. He had an impressive showing, so he's probably got a little bit of a comfort level that he hasn't had in a while.
0: Yeah, so um, you know we'll see what, what the Spurs adjustments make they make on defense. Again, um, something to watch there is do they continue to let Denver have that mid range that mid-range shot? You know how how much they emphasize you know crashing the glass on, on the defensive end, and then also Jokic. You know the fact that Malone, uh, you know he knows is gonna get double team, so he, he they may try to he he talked about spacing today about doing different spacing schemes to get their shooters better shots when when the Spurs do double Jokic. So so we'll see how that happens on defense for the Spurs. Overall, they had a good defensive game for their first game. Um, on the road in the playoffs. Now let's switch over to the Spurs' offense. Uh, they finished with 100, 101 points, which is lower than their season average, uh, but still enough to beat Denver. Uh, at the rim, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely not a team that gets the rim at all. They shoot 27% of their shots at the rim uh, during the season, but that went down by 10%. You know, only 17% of their shots came at the rim in this game. Accuracy also dropped from 66% to 46%. And, you know, I just want to say something because it, it's funny. On Twitter, you know, during the game, I get a lot of mentions, um, you know, why doesn't DeRozan or Aldridge or you know, these other guys drive to the rim? And I almost want to tell them, like, do you not look at the stats of the team? They're 30th in rim frequency. They do not. This is not a team who gets to the rim. I know it's frustrating because they take mid-range twos and, and, you know, they take more threes. They don't get to the free throw line as much. But that's kind of who the Spurs are. And that's why, you know, they're not a favorite to, to win the NBA championship, not a favorite to get to the finals. They weren't even a favorite to win this series because their, their thought process, their mentality on offense, this is who, who they're built around, these mid-range guys, Rudy Gay. DeMar, uh, Aldridge, even Derek White is more of a mid-range shooter than he is a driver. What do you think about that, about their their, their shots at the rim?
1: It's, it's kind of funny, because if you look at the shot chart, you see how many shots came off the left block, and it, it's just like something Denver couldn't stop at all, and even the the lack of three-pointers to me was a little shocking. Like The Spurs just settled for nothing but mid-range, and maybe a little floater here and there around the rim. They weren't really too concerned with getting into the paint and letting Jokic or Paul Millsap try to send one back at them, so uh, it, it'll be interesting moving forward, but you know, it's one of those things. I think Pounding the Rock had an article that was like a third of the possessions came out of a post-up, and it was all LaMarcus and D- DeMar Rosen. And it's like, okay, yeah, you want DeMar to probably drive into the paint, but something that you noticed with DeMar this game that you probably haven't seen in Toronto, it seems that Pop built this confidence in him that, hey, if you're struggling shooting, if you can't get it going offensively, affect the game in other ways. And he did that with his rebounding and his assists. So as long as he's making plays, I don't care where he's shooting the ball from. Honestly, like as long as he can get out there and make plays happen along with Brynn next to him and Derek White is all the rim protection you need. I mean, he put Paul Millsap in a casket, so oh, I'm man. good with that. Just give me that, that one play every game and I'm yeah, happy.
0: That was insane. And I never used capital letters. And I think kind of the Rock retweeted me, like, Paul, you know, you know, it got Paul excited if he used capital letters and his tweet like <laughs> cap locks. Yeah, there was something like that. So, oh, man, so now let's get to the mid-range numbers. These are just mag, uh, magnificent for the Spurs. So typically, the Spurs shoot 47% of their shots from mid-range. In this game, they shot 66% of their shots from mid-range. <laughs> I mean, they were, LaMarcus and, and DeRozan and Derek White and Rudy Gay, these guys are like in heaven. I mean, this is just all, like, Denver's like, here, we, we only want you to take mid-range. The Spurs are like, okay, we'll take that. So, you know, it's funny because that's, that's exactly who the Spurs are, though. Like, that's what people, you know, it's, I know you can tell them, go to the rim and get fouled and stuff, but that's just not in their DNA. That's not who these guys on the offensive end are. This is what they are. They're they're mid-range shooters. Um, They actually shot well, though, 49% from the mid-range compared to their season average of 44%. Um, I agree with you there, though. There was a lot of plays where they did shoot a lot of contested mid-range. I think DeRozan himself, like, you know, he'd get get his dribble stopped and instead of kicking out, he tried to just force a mid-range shot up. LaMarcus... He didn't have a great, you know, when, when he was shooting, the, you know, he, he likes those, uh, those turnaround mid-range shots from mm-hmm. you know, about 14 to 16 feet. And, you know, during the regular season, those are going in. But in the playoffs, those are so much, so much more critical if they're not going in. And, and I did notice on the times that Denver let him shoot without being double-teamed, you know, Jokic. He could not move Jokic around. He couldn't move Mason Plumlee. He had a better uh, chance against Paul Millsap, but he was taking you know, those those deep, you know, turnaround sixteen footers, and, and those were not were not hitting for him. And that's the reason for some of his um, his low accuracy numbers in this game. Uh, looking at the at the threes, the frequency of threes, uh, the Spurs in the season they take twenty seven percent of their shots from three, which is thirtieth again, not a not a volume three point shooting team. But in this game, like you mentioned, John, it, it sunk all the way down to seventeen percent of their shots came from three. Now, luckily for the Spurs, one of the real reasons why they won this game is that that they can make threes. You know, typically in the in the regular season, they're the, they're the best shooting team from accuracy, from three forty percent. They went up to fifty percent in this contest, and then of course the free throw line, the Spurs just don't take free throws, so they didn't really have a, a huge um, margin there. What did you think about those three areas?
1: So, if we can let's flash back to the Golden State series last year, real quick, yeah. and just look at the personnel that they're dealing with is like you had someone in Patty Mills averaging. 30-plus minutes in a playoff game, and he barely – let me see. What did he play? He played – I think it was like just 19 or 21 minutes, and he took three shots. None of them were three-pointers. And and that's something that you feel like Patty is only in the game to shoot threes, but he was out there doing so many other things that he wasn't worried about offense in any sort of way. And that's one of those – it's just kind of like staggering how Bryn Forbes has taken this guard role and turned his offense up to another level where they don't need to rely on someone like Patty – Bertons is there to stretch the floor a little bit here and there, but just the capability of the the little like three man weave inside of the three point line between Aldridge DeRozan and Derek White was some for some reason unstoppable in this game. And I think it's you know, come playoff time, you want to be able to stretch the floor a little bit more. Marco is gonna be a little bit more viable, but he was terrible in game one, especially defensively. Yeah. For sure. It was just kind yeah. of like unheard of offensively. So they have the three point shooting there. If they need like a bailout, especially at home, they'll, they'll, that'll be a lot more useful. But you know, I'm just I'm impressed at at how they got that game done. Obviously, you need a little bit of luck, and the Spurs struggled from the free throw line, even though they're yeah. one of the, you know most efficient teams in the last decade from the line. But you know, they're they're gonna have to make adjustments. They can't just shoot <laughs> sixty plus percent from mid range. They can't just keep making fun of us and parroting themselves like that. It's like they just did a troll job in game one.
0: <laughs> and they won. They got rewarded. Yeah, them. they won. Um, okay, yeah. So let's look at uh, some some of the individual players for the Spurs. So let's start off with their with their top guys. You know, in terms of their guys that are usually their playmakers. So so DeRozan has 18 points, close to a season average. Obviously, he took a lot of shots to get those 18 points. Didn't have a great shooting night. 12 rebounds, um, 6 assists, 4 turnovers, and then shot 35% from the floor, like I mentioned. Now, here's the thing about DeRozan, honestly. Like, I went back and watched the tape, and I even felt this, like, oh, I was watching this through the game. It almost feels like Denver doesn't have a player that can guard him. Like, even though Will Barton and, and Gary Harris were his main two guys that had to guard him, I mean, he, it felt like, almost like Kobe where he could kind of get just separation and take a, a mid-range shot that was pretty open for his sake. Now he just had a bad, he just didn't make them and that's on him to to make those open shots when he when he clears the defender within like 2 feet of the of that player. Like throughout most of the night it really felt like he he's the only guy in on the Spurs who could really just get his own comfortable shot that he that he likes that those pull-up, you know, mid-range shots. Um, what did you think about that? The fact that it did look like, and then also one thing I want to know before I ask you this question is, it looked like he was also hunting mismatches. When he got like Mason Plumlee or Jokic switched onto him, he easily, you know, cleared everyone out and, and just kind of went one on one and got a pretty good mid-range shot that way too. So, what do you think about DeRozan going forward?
1: I feel like some of his issues, especially in Game One, is he makes more trouble for himself than he needs to. He likes to pump fake, he likes to dribble, and he likes to just attack you in any way he can and point out your weak spots. I think I can't remember what quarter. I want to say it was towards the end of the game, where he had like they got uh, Aldridge got doubled. I think it came out to Derek White, and then it left Demar just wide open for a mid-range jumper. And for some reason, he drives into the paint, right into the bodies, and it's like, what are you doing? Like you don't need to just pull up. But that's his game, and I don't want to stop him from doing that. But if you're going to be ineffective in doing so, you need to be able to shoot that wide open jumper when you get it. If they're going to sag off of you, if they're going to try to prevent. From the Spurs from getting into the paint, DeMar's just got to be able to work in in a lot faster fashion.
0: And one of the things that one of the things that he adds that the Spurs didn't have last year um, was a guy who can kind of get to the free throw line. You know, he took he took the most shots uh, free throw shots of any player in this game with eight free throw attempts. So so we did see that on a few plays where um you know he was struggling. He, you know he was able to get those guys in foul trouble, kind of get 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 fouls whenever he needed to uh, in the half court. So that's another another good thing for the Spurs is that they have a guy now in DeRozan who can do that. And again, that goes to like what you said, where Pop's kind of put more responsibility on him to grow from the player that he was in Toronto and become that. And you know, he had obviously worked out uh, in this first game, uh, in this first Spurs playoff game. Let's look at Audridge now. Um, he he had a below um, scoring, below average scoring I should I say? Fifteen points, um, eight rebounds, uh, one assist, just thirty-two percent from the floor. Now I know that Denver did um, double team him a lot. Some some notes I took on rewatching his on his film, um, you know, on his post-ups, like you mentioned. I mean. He just couldn't move Jokic. He couldn't move Mason Plumlee. A lot of times, too, is that when they try to post him up, they killed, like, the entire shot clock. Like, he'd get the ball, and when he finally starts making his move, there's, like, seven or six seconds left. He can't really kick out at that point, and then you're rushing the three-point shooters. So I really feel like the post-ups weren't very effective. And like like you mentioned, you know, you referenced some numbers there, that it's just, for, in my opinion, with, with the Aldridge post-up in this series right now, it just doesn't look effective. We'll see if Pop makes some adjustments, some spacing adjustments for him. Uh, He did better in the pick-and-roll, honestly. Like in those pick-and-pop actions, he was able to get almost any wide-open shot he wanted. Uh, it was just on him to make that mid-range look. He was also able to take Jokic off the dribble that way. If, like, if, they, if he did a pick and pop and they, and they gave him the ball, then he could kind of put the ball on the floor, and Jokic can't guard him that way. He got some good attempts there. And then, of course, you have to give him some credit for, for being aggressive. And you know, even though his shot wasn't falling in the offensive rebound, he got several second-chance points that way by kind of just getting offensive boards and just you know, just being really physical and, and getting back on the boards. What, did you th- what do you think about Aldrich going forward?
1: I don't have a problem with the way he played because, obviously, he had a couple good shots down the stretch that kind of helped seal the game. Obviously, it's not a great shooting night, but a lot of the he had decent looks. They just didn't really roll in, especially in the third quarter when I think the Spurs had, like, 13 points. But I, I would like a little bit more aggressiveness on the block. Don't just sit on the ball, you know, if, especially if he's going to get double-teamed. At least try to force your way to the line a little bit more. That If you're going to get points somehow outside of the pick-and-pop, at least try to get to the free-throw line. Like, four free-throws... From Aldridge just seems a little low but other than that like you know the role players were able to step it up you know LaMarcus didn't really have to worry about too much but a lot of those shots need to fall in game two
0: yeah for sure um moving over to Rudy Gay who's used the Spurs as third playmaker uh you know has kind of close to his season averages and everything 14 points six rebounds uh one assist three turnovers 67 percent uh f- from the field 67 percent from three made two threes uh he it seemed did it seem like he had a quiet second half compared to that first half? I
1: extremely extremely yeah, okay. and the funny thing was in the second quarter i remember looking at the box at the box score when the spurs are struggling a little bit and i'm getting emotional just talking about it obviously but <laughs> uh like I, I think he had zero points and i'm like you know rudy seems a little slow out there he doesn't seem like he's being in a you know effective at all and then all of a sudden he just rips off i think it was like seven six or seven points and i'm like okay like but outside of yeah. that he still has a lot more room to improve and a lot more you know he can be a lot more assertive, but. You know, if they're not going to focus on him too much, he's primarily out there for length and rebounding. So defensively, he did his job. Offensively, there's still a lot more than he can do.
0: Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, when he sees that DeRozan has has it going, they're trying to get Aldridge going or Derek White's having a good night, you know, he probably just stays away a little bit. Uh, Let's talk about the guy, though, that's that's really going to be an X factor for the series, in my opinion. That's Derek White. Um, You know, he finishes the game with 16 points, which is way above his season average, five assists, Three rebounds, four turnovers, shoots 70% from the floor, like I mentioned, 67% from the free throw line. Here, here was a stat I, I tweeted during the game. During the regular season, when Derek scored over 13 points, the Spurs went 17-4. and four. So, I mean, he just, you know, the, the, the numbers are there. And, and this is something that, again, I, I just don't know if he's going to do it game-to-game, game, where if he can take his game to another level like he did on this one night right now, uh, it just really makes the Spurs a tough team to beat. And it's why, i you know, on paper I did pick Denver in seven, and my two reasons were this. It was, it was, you know, can the Spurs play defense on the road, which they did, you know, in game one, and can Derek White go from his normal season averages to, to excelling to another level on both ends, and we saw him do that in this game. So again, if, if he can play like this, have, have these really good, efficient nights, you know, not being too demanding on the ball, and then also making defensive plays, um, you know, he can really take the Spurs um, to another level. What, do you think, what did you think about his night?
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny because one of the things that I saw when he was in Austin last year was just he has this ability to just pick his spots and attack and just completely take over a game. And he it seemed like he did a lot of it in the second half, bailing people out. You know, only four of his shots came out of the paint. And if if he's going to be the primary slasher, that's great. He can get to the line pretty well, and he can stretch the floor. He seems like to have meshed the Tony Parker mono role, where he can do all the slashing you need. In com- combining the passing and the scoring, which the Spurs did not have last year, and that's something that he really worked on in Austin, for me, a bigger X factor would be Bryn Forbes. That I, I'm sorry, Bryn. I'm sorry I killed you for the last, <laughs> the last year, but I was just looking at it today, and it kind of blew my mind. Uh, Bryn Forbes set career highs in games played, games started, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage, rebounds, assists, steals, points. Okay, granted, he played a lot more, but... Tell me, did you really expect Bryn Forbes to be starting, playing 30 minutes, and scoring 15 points in a playoff game? Because I sure as hell didn't.
0: No, I didn't. And, and you know, I feel kind of guilty, too, because I'm actually, his spot is the one that I keep looking at for DeJounte Murray next year. I feel yeah. like his is the one, just because, and it's not the offensive part, you know, that's the reason why Bryn stayed on the floor. A lot of it is yeah. the, the fact that defensively, he's just, you know, the physical limitations in terms of just being, you know, a three guard uh in today's nba and that's kind of but you know it's working out you know and, and one thing i will give him credit for is that even though he has his, his, his liabilities on defense he hustles like he doesn't like he tries not to miss assignments yep. he tries his best to stay in front of guys and, it's, and you know that's just as far as it takes him but i mean he was incredible in this game like i mentioned three or four from three denver you know it, it'll be interesting for him going forward like you mentioned is that Denver's now going to be scouting him a little bit more and yep. trying to really watch where he's out on the floor considering he's one of the guys who really kept the spurs afloat against them
1: and it's one of those things, like, look at the lineups, too. Like, I think one of the best lineups still had Marco Bellinelli out there, no matter how bad he was. If they start focusing more on Brynn, that opens up more opportunities for everyone else. You have to pick your poison, and especially someone like Bertans only playing 19 minutes. If the Spurs still want to go a little bit bigger and add that extra length, Bertans can hold his own defensively while still killing you offensively.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. So, so we'll see what happens now in Game 2. You know, it's only Game 1, but, again, the Spurs did at least go to Denver and get one game there so far. Uh, and that, that gives them home court in the series for now. Uh, so, so game two tips off on, on Tuesday at, at 8 o'clock, um, you know, Texas time here in San Antonio, uh, and then you, where you're at, John, in, in Houston. So, um, you know, but the, the Spurs will be on the road. Um, thank you, all for Spurs Cal Sisters for, for listening to this episode 537 with John Diaz. Again, if you're on Twitter, follow him, at ByJohnDiaz. Uh, be sure to keep checking ProjectSpurs.com. We have a lot of our playoff, um, you know, pieces, articles, videos, different things going on over there at Project Spurs. And then also... Uh, Thank you to Michael DeLeon for mixing and producing this episode. For John Diaz, I am Paul Garcia. Thank you. Have a great day.